Hey, before the show starts, we want to let you know that the Cybersecurity Marketing Society's annual conference, Cyber Marketing Con 2022, will be held this year, November 16th through 18th in Arlington, Virginia. And yes, there will also be a virtual option. You really don't want to miss it. We'll have two days jam-packed with cybersecurity marketing strategies, ideas, metrics, insights. It's going to be the place to be. Visit cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com and click on conference to grab your ticket. We'll see you there. Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. everybody, and welcome to another episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I am super amped up, and I'm one of your co-hosts, Gianna Whitford, with my other co-host, Maria. And I am so amped up because today we have David Brown, the Director of Partner Marketing at Xerofox here on the show to demystify, unravel, take out of the box, open the present of Partner <laughs> Marketing. What is partner marketing? How do people do it? How do we do it effectively? What's the future of partner marketing? David, we're so glad to have you on today. Thank you for the invitation. I love you guys. I'm so excited to chat about the thing that I love. Woo! We're so excited. First and foremost, what is partner marketing? What is partner marketing? Well, partner marketing is a rather new discipline within marketing and has really grown up a lot with the prevalence of technology sales and technology marketing. And really what we're looking at with partner marketing is working with another organization in order to amplify your sales and marketing capabilities. And there are a number of different kind of subsets of partner marketing, right? We have our traditional channel marketing, which is working with resellers or distributors or system integrators. And they're basically taking your product and going out to a specific market and trying to sell it to them, right? They understand that market. It's kind of a pass-through motion. Where we're seeing a lot of the growth right now is technology and alliance partnerships. This is kind of the big way forward. And there's been a lot of great conversation about this, where you're doing a lot of joint co-selling and co-marketing, where you have two solutions that when they work together, they're extra special. So you take a joint value proposition from one company and the other, and then you get this kind of beautiful masterpiece, right? And then there's some other ones that not necessarily relevant to cybersecurity as much, but depending on what kind of company size you are, we have affiliate marketing where it's much more of a digital play, right? Where people are going out and doing some of just awareness building for you. And they might be measured or comped based on the amount of leads that they generate. So it's a big wide world, right? And that's part of what I think makes it so mysterious, <laughs> potentially, or confounding for some folks out there, because there's lots of different definitions, right? And it's something that's always constantly moving and changing. So at Zero Fox, how would you position yourself in this big wide world, in this big ocean? If you're a boat, where's your navigation path? Are you in this tech alliances? Are you doing the reseller thing? Like, what do you do? So we do both. I would say the majority of our motion over the past year and a half, when we have kind of reimagined our partner program, was to accelerate our channel partnerships. And the reason for that is that we've been growing exponentially and we are really trying to get into a number of international markets, a number of key verticals where the channel can provide that access in a faster manner and at a scalable manner. So one of the reasons that a lot of companies will 
dive headfirst into a channel program, right? Is that they've reached a point where their direct sales and their direct marketing is good, it's growing, but they want to reach a new kind of escalation and acceleration. And so instead of adding more marketers or spending more money or hiring more sellers, you find a channel partnership that can go out and do all that on your behalf, right? We educate them, we empower them. They understand the market better than we do necessarily. They might have language skills. They definitely have relationships already built into place. So you kind of take some of that and pull that into your workforce. So in terms of stages and companies and when companies are ready for channel, because you just said, hey, like you've already built out your direct sellers, your direct sales teams. How does channel marketing different stage companies? If you're like a seed stage, should you stay away from channel and partners? What are the different variables there? That's a good question. My opinion, right, is that if I was starting in my own company, I would want to start with the channel, right? I mean, I would want to understand because they are buyers, they have customers, they're going to understand what some of the business requirements are for their customers. They're going to already understand how that company ticks. So a channel partner provides that feedback, not just necessarily the resale capability, but it's a sounding board. It's a strategic partner, (laughs) more or less, right, for your business. What we traditionally see is a lot of companies will kind of start and they'll build out all of that. They'll have the product team, they'll have their sales team, they'll have their marketing team, and they'll add on a channel program at the end. And as a result of that, you kind of have this channel team out here that's floating out in the ocean, right? And everyone's like, what are those guys doing over there? (laughs) Like, oh, we got to like go through the partner. It's going to take money out of our contract. We're not getting any metrics back. We invested money. We're not hearing anything back. And that's the reason is because the channel partner was added inorganically at the end because maybe a board said that you got to do this in order to scale or we really want to try to bring in some additional impact in a different region. But I think that's changing now because we're starting to see the value of the channel is not necessarily the resale capability, but the influence capability, the way that a channel can really shrink the contract lifecycle, right? So If they have that relationship and you're creating demand over here and that person goes to their reseller and says, what about Zero Fox or what about any vendor? They can say, oh, here are the things that you need to know. You've identified this, like we already have a contract in place, so we'll just add it on, right? So there's all these benefits that I think people are starting to understand a little bit more now. And when the channel team and the partnership team is more integrated into sales, marketing and product it seems to be a lot more successful. That's very funny. It's not funny. It's very serious. It's funny what you said about these, the benefits of reducing the contract life cycle of increasing influence. I mean, Votier is a channel led organization. We're series A. We're not like just started yesterday, but we're still earlier stage. And that's a lot of the reasons we're doing channel. It's because it does cut through some of the noise because you have and are working with sales folks who are working directly with end customers that you want to be with and be involved with. And they already know the customer's problems and their systems intimately and their insides and their guts already. And they already know the key players and they've already sold in. And it gives you an edge or it can give you an edge Mm -hmm. if you can build a good relationship with those folks at those partnerships. Those are some of the benefits. Are there other benefits that we haven't touched on for channel? I think one of the other things that's important, right, is validation, especially in our industry where there's a million vendors, right? There's a million potentially competitors, and we're trying to stand out from the crowd. Partners can really provide that endorsement that 
can add value to your company. When you have someone that's going out there and talking on your behalf and saying, we only work with ZeroFox and not this competitor, or we sell this endpoint solution and not that one, we've already seen how it works with our customers and they love it. That is gold that you can't do in direct marketing. You can't build that kind of influence and that validation just from telling your own story. You kind of have some people that are out there and adding a little gravitas to your business. That's a good point. And what about the challenges that can come with channel? Is there anything inherent challenges that people should be watching out for? Typical challenges that you see when people are bringing in channel into an org that's been so far just direct sales? Oh boy. Yes, there are lots of challenges. And I have to say one of the things about channel is that channel people love channel and like doing partnerships because it's not as clear cut, right? There's a lot of building. There's a lot of architecture that you have to think through. There's a lot of change management internally and externally, right? So you have to be thinking long-term all of the time. When we run like a digital ad campaign, right? We can, we have full control over the beginning, the middle, and the end. We have control of the content. We can see the metrics and results, and then we can pivot and do something different or put more cash behind it. We control that whole life cycle. When we're working with partners, a lot of that is taken out of our hands. It's a much more people-driven, influence-driven program. At the end of the day, you have to understand relationships. You have to understand empathy. You have to really get in to know what your partners want and need and give that to them. So when we're thinking about the partner marketing, you can't do one size fits all, right? I can't just come up with a campaign and send it to all my partners because most of them don't care. They want to have something that's specific for them, customizable for them, that they know is going to resonate with their customer base. So you got to do a lot of listening. It's a two-way street and it's a little bit different than maybe some of the other disciplines that are out there. So that's one. It takes a little bit of patience and it takes a little bit of strategy. Not to say that not every kind of marketing doesn't use strategy, but it's a little bit of a different strategy. We don't use strategy. We just put stuff in a jar and then we like shake the jar and then we like pick one of the things out of the jar. We hope MQLs come out of the jar and that's it. (laughs) Other challenge, right? You mentioned making the pivot from direct sales to a channel sales strategy. Boy, this is probably the biggest challenge that we have, right? I mean, we have folks that have been doing it one way and then you're going to come in and say, oh, by the way, Now you have to bring someone in to your whole workflow. You can't sign the PO or the contract until you get approval from these guys down the street who you might not have never met. We're basically upending everything that you've done and known and kind of become good at. And obviously there is sometimes some pushback on that. But the reinforcement is to say, all right, you are building your own team here. You get to know your reps at your channel partners And then they're doing half the job for you. If you can educate them, give them the tools that they need. Now you have three people doing the work of one person. and Those contracts can start rolling in at a higher frequency. All of that legwork up front that you do with understanding the target buyer, understanding who has the influence, who's holding, all that kind of stuff. That's already done by someone else. And you're coming in, you're being the closer. And that's what every salesperson wants. David, you touched on architecture just a few minutes ago. Is that from like an operational process and infrastructure standpoint? And if it is, can you talk us through that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So as you can imagine, right, there's a lot of moving parts in this kind of program. 
and a lot of variables and outliers. Again, because we're working with people, we are one of many vendors to reseller or distributor out there. We're trying to get our internal processes aligned to external processes and back and forth. So you have to be very, very clear on what your partner program is and what it isn't. And so there's a lot of thinking that needs to go into that in advance, right? So we just don't have the capability to treat every partner the same, though I wish we could. We have to think about them like a salesperson. Some salespeople are hitting their numbers and they're driving business. So we're going to invest in them. But we have some that maybe are promising that aren't quite there yet. So we're going to nurture them and give them the tools and see how they perform. You've got to do the same thing with the channel partner program. And from a marketing perspective, my job and people that I work with on the marketing team, right, is to take our limited resources and direct them at those partners that are starting to build that momentum and go out there. As much as I would like to sit down and work with every partner, come up with a go-to-market strategy and build custom content for them, it's just not possible. And it's never going to be possible. So we have to structure it with, okay, here's what you need to do in order to get up and running. Here are the essentials. Go run. Let's see what you come out with. And then reassess, right? That's working for them. It's like, oh, maybe let's try something new. What are you working on with one of your other vendors that we can participate with and go from there? So we got to think about what that flow looks like, what that growth pattern looks like from marketing and go-to-market position. From the architecture side, also, we got to think about internal and external processes. This is where a lot of programs fall down. Aligning how we do sales internally and how we do marketing internally with what a partner is doing externally. We may be moving at a really, really fast pace, releasing new products. We have new eBooks coming out all the time internally, but a partner is moving much slower. So they're juggling a hundred other companies that are also on that really fast cycle. And so we got to take some of that and say, what is the most important thing for our partners to know in North America, these next three quarters, four quarters, and then just say it and repeat it and engage. It's a much slower moving process. It's kind of those two internal circles, external circles moving together that you got to manage. And of course, essentially, the channels that you're using for this regular communication with partners is what? Emails and regular checkings and huddles. Would that be the right kind of channels and cadence? Yeah, you got to meet your partners where they are. Some partners, they just want to get an email once a month with what's new and a link to a new deck and they're good to go. They're off and running. Some, they want to chit chat more. They want to sit down and talk through things. They want to have regular check-ins. They want to look at metrics. And so it varies. And that's part of the empathy and the intuition that you have to have in this particular discipline is understanding what's working for them and meeting them there. That's a zero fox perspective. That's kind of a niche product perspective. If you're an Okta or a Palo Alto, it's a completely different situation. <laughs> so if you are in a place where you are a market dominator, right? You have a technology that's applicable all over the place. Everyone's going to line up to be selling you because they know that it's a moneymaker. They know that it's a pretty easy sell because people know some of those larger companies. So those companies might say, Hey, partner X, like, here's what we got for you this quarter. Go, you're expected to bring back this much money to me or you're out. Whereas when you are scaling, you're growing, trying to make your mark, right? It's a little more of a negotiation. It's a little more of a consultation because you're still trying to earn that mind share. So true. David, in our scoping call, you mentioned that channel should be considered a marketing channel in order for it to be successful and truly embedded within obviously the growth team on the marketing side. 
And then earlier you mentioned that sometimes channel is an afterthought, right? After you build your team and everything, and then it's kind of off to the side. Let's say hypothetically that happens. How, what are some ways, what is some advice you can give for people to actually embed that in? Whether it's leadership and managing up or internal marketing to make that happen. What are some things? Okay. This is my most controversial take. (laughs) We love controversial on this podcast. Right. Yes. I just went to a great conference by this company called Crossbeam, just an endorsement, but (laughs) they're really leading the pack on a lot of thought leadership and in kind of like ecosystem and channel. And they gave me all the Kool-Aid that I ever want to drink about partnerships. It was fantastic. They released some results from one of the surveys they ran about where does partnerships fit in with different organizations. Most of the time, it's kind of under the sales umbrella, right? And that makes sense because there's contracting and there's certain relationships that are there and it's kind of a support side to your actual direct sellers or regional sales managers. But there's a small little percentage, I think about 9%, maybe a little bit more, that report into the marketing organization. And I was like, yes, people are finally doing it. And not to be too literal, but it's called channel marketing. And we as marketers, right, we have all sorts of different channels. That's just wordplay. But if you were going to establish a new partner program, questions you might ask might be, all right, which markets do I want to get into? There are these many companies that are in this market. Where do the buyers from that market go to find their information? What are the sources they listen to? What do they trust? All right. Now, how do we get out there and tackle those particular buyers? That is a marketing plan, right? That is the same thing that you might do if you were launching any traditional marketing channel strategy or coming up with your way to tackle your total addressable market. Channel and partnership programs do the same thing with the addition that there's a human element in there. So we are constantly using people to build that influence to make sure those kind of things get done. But at the end of the day, you have to really have, I think, that marketing DNA to really keep that consistency, to keep that messaging, to reinforce and to measure in a way that might not necessarily be organic from a sales organization. When we think about alliance partnerships, right, sometimes those are underneath like a product team, which makes a lot of sense, right? Because there's integrations and you got to build those and then what's built and then, yay, we now integrate with this massive, with Splunk or whatever, But what comes after that? We got to think about, all right, how do we talk about how good these two solutions are together? Who's going to want to buy it? How can we take each other's current customer list and cross-pollinate? How do we measure that? How do we continue to get better, right? So my hot take really is that I think that, and maybe it's a brand new kind of monster altogether, but I think partnerships has a place underneath marketing as a way to get to new markets, amplify messaging, Drive pipeline. Those are the things that we do as marketing. This is just another way to do that. You heard it, people. Let's go make that <laughs> shuffle. <laughs> on the next I hope, I hope my boss isn't listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> did you say bring it up on the next all hands, Maria? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's pretty good. That's an interesting way to think about it. I love the way you think about that, David, and express that because it's true. It's like every or many channel people I know, they're sales folks. So if channels under marketing, how are you working with sales to enable the channel? And what are you guys doing? Because it's no longer channels entirely under sales and doing channel stuff and asking marketing for help. Now it's like channels being led by marketing and you also have sales involved. What are some ways to, to work within your organization with sales to make sure that channel is successful? 
One of the things I like to think about is kind of the movement of the SDR and BDR role. For a long time, that was a sales role, right? And it said underneath the sales thing. And what was their job? They were going out and they were hunting. They were bringing their leads over to the salesperson to then go and work their magic. This is very similar, if you can think about that. And so let's take a step back, right? SDRs and BDRs and a lot of organizations are now moving over into the marketing department because they operate really closely with demand gen. They operate really closely with field events in order to drive engagement. We think about a channel or a partnership organization. That's the whole goal of that also, right? Is to do some of the hunting, build that relationship to bring those leads in, hopefully already like half-baked so that once a salesperson gets a hold of it, they can just fine tune it and then close the deal. So one of the things, answer your question specifically, is we have to just demonstrate success, right? We have to continue to work, so show our sales team, like th this is their job. They're trying to do the best that they can with the resources they have. We have to continue to show how we're enabling them. And so a partnership team's really job is to do everything for the partner, to get them the tools that they need, to help them understand what we do, to help them go to market with the best intelligence that they have so that they can bring these opportunities to the salesperson, create a relationship, and then continue to drive. And now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors and producers, Hacker Valley Media. Chris Cochran and Ron Eddings run an amazing studio here, which produces not only the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, but a bunch of other shows that you're going to want to listen to as well. So all these shows plus more, and then on top of that, probably even more coming soon, are available to look at, listen to, and sponsor at HackerValley.com. Make sure you go over there and say, hey, Gianna and Maria said I should come check out your website, listen to your shows, and sponsor a podcast or two. Can I ask you a little bit about tactics? When I work with partners, and I've worked with partners out in multiple organizations, and I've always been the small guy, the small fish, the small fry, mm -hmm. sometimes it's hard, and you alluded to this earlier, like it's hard to get their attention. It's hard to know how to work together. It's difficult because you want to do things with them, but they're juggling a hundred other more successful companies than you that their sellers already know and love. So in terms of tactics, what are some things that you can do? Maybe like on a first call with a new partner, how can you set the stage that you want to do partner marketing with them and you're eager and willing and willing to help? Like what are some things you could say or how do you approach these so that the partner is willing to market with you? That's a good question, right? And something that we're always trying to figure out. I think that continues to evolve and it changes by partner. But I think across the board, you need to bring something different. They need to see in your solution something gold that they can take to their customers that's not necessarily offered anywhere else. That's not to say that you have a competitor. But what's worked really well for us, right, is Zero Fox has a big umbrella of lots of different solutions that we have and, and all sorts of different offerings. We have taken all of that down and really focused on a couple different use cases that we can back up and say, Last year, these use cases were the ones that were most successful in your target market. And here's how we closed those deals with them. Here's what these particular prospects responded to really well. So if you want a bite of this pie for this year, focus on these use cases. Here are the materials that you can do to run whatever kind of campaign you're really good at. 
Are you really focused on VIP events where you bring your customers in and you have wine and cigars and do all that kind of stuff? Great. All right. Here's a 10 minute presentation. We'll send someone over there and you know what? We'll even pay for it. How about that? If that's their tactic, then by all means, let's do it that way. If they're a bigger organization, right? And they're kind of a, say a digital operation, Here's everything that you need in order to run a full campaign soup to nuts based on these use cases. Here is the content. Here's the graphics. Feel free to edit it. Here's some ideas for a joint value proposition. It's as turnkey as possible. Here's the opportunity. Here's how you get it. Go forth and be a successful partner. Again, that's both a business opportunity for them and you're kind of doing the work for them at the same time. I think if you could do the work, for, well, first off, actually, I'm going to say this thing, which doesn't have anything relevant to what you just said, David, which is when you were saying wine and cigars, how come there's never like a cheesecake themed event? I'm with you 110%. I was like, where are all of the cybersecurity buyers that want to go see a Broadway play? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Let's go do that. Exactly. <laughs> well, I didn't mean cheesecake like a Broadway play. I meant literal cheesecake. <laughs> Like you could eat it because everyone's always talking about wine or beer tasting or coffee. And it's like, how come we can't eat a really good cheesecake? And then I love that we could eat it at a Broadway play. I think that'd be awesome. Do it. See, this is a partnership. This is how it works, right? You throw out an idea. I add something to it. Let's do it. Boom. I think we're going to have to serve cheesecake at Cyber Marketing Con this year, (gasps) Gianna. (laughs) We will. Oh my gosh. Everybody who's listening, please email me who's interested in attending Cyber Marketing Con, of which... We either have already released by the time this episode comes out or will release soon. No, have already released tickets and dates and everything. Send me what cheesecake flavor you would like to eat, please. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But back to what you were saying, David, not to make this into a food podcast. (laughs) It's very tough. I feel like sometimes, and this is just my feeling, and maybe it's a feeling that sales has like seeped into me because I feel like sometimes when you're a marketer trying to work with the marketing department, of a channel partner, like a reseller or a systems integrator, it's like so tough to get their attention Mm -hmm. at all. It's like, you're like, hey, like I can do a webinar. And they're like, no, we're busy. And like, hey, I will pay $5,000 for us to do a joint event. And it's like, okay, you can tell sales, but we're not going to help you. It's not blaming the channel partners at all. Not the marketers. I will never blame marketers. Marketers Mm -hmm. are so overwhelmed. It's so tough to me sometimes to get into those conversations. So what you said about maybe just bringing a use case to a meeting, instead of being like, hey, here's everything we could do together, being like, hey, here is our biggest use case, and this is what we've done, and this has worked, and I want to do that with you all. Can you tell your Salesforce, can you unlock that channel for us to come and be in front of your sellers? Like Maybe that's an approach to take. Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, again, they're working with a million vendors, and their marketing department's going to be getting instructions on where to direct their energy based on the revenue. And it's hard for small fries, like you call us, right? To like get some of that attention. One of the other things that's been really successful is to come up with something that's unique for that partner. And then that could be an offer that could be a freemium kind of style offering of your product that is exclusive to them. That helps them position themselves as maybe a little bit better than their competitors or giving something that is low risk for them to offer to their customers and kind of test the waters a little bit. But yes, it is notoriously hard a lot of times to get kind of the amount of face time that you want with a lot of these companies, especially the bigger that they get, for sure. I guess you got to be charming. 
and delightful. <laughs> it helps. This is one of the things, right? This is a relationships game. I had a partner once tell me we were at a happy hour that we were co-hosting <laughs> and someone from one of their other vendors stopped by and I was like, oh, I haven't seen you do anything with that vendor before. They're like, we don't like them. <laughs> and I was like, what? Like they don't, their product isn't selling. No, we just actually don't like working with that team. And so we don't invite them. We're not focusing our marketing with them. Told me point blank, right? And you have to imagine that's happening everywhere. As vendors, we make that decision too, a lot of times. If there's not that relationship, feels very one-sided. If we're investing time and money and not seeing any return, and sitting on Zoom calls is terrible to do whenever you have to do it. <laughs> There's other fish in the sea. So I think you were throwing that away, but really the relationship and the charming and you know treating partners like customers, it's part of the game. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say it's just like customer success, especially in cybersecurity from a vendor perspective. When you are one of the three or four other options for that potential customer to choose from, and you have very comparable products, the one way you can actually stand out is by the people in your company, whether it's the people that are building the product with the promise of a really rich roadmap or the customer success team or the implementation, the onboarding, all of that. Absolutely. Are you yourself just being Me. a delightful marketer? Oh. <laughs> the listeners can't see, but Maria just did a great hair flip. <laughs> Well, listen, it's no joke, right? I mean, we all know the how like insular cybersecurity is and people move around from company to company, relationships are built. It's the same with resellers and vendors. You may move from one reseller to the other. We may have a competitor, someone that worked at our competitor come work for us and they're bringing all those relationships along, right? So you got to make sure you're not burning any bridges necessarily. But part of that is building a lot of your cachet as an individual and then building the cachet of the company as a good partner to work with. Cachet, I like that. I like cachet. that word. I love the word cachet. Awesome. <laughs> so David, here's another controversial one for you. <laughs> you once said, this actually feels like a courtroom. <laughs> Let the record be known that you once said, the channel is the future. I'm going to challenge that a little bit and say, it's the future for who? Exactly. Because in cybersecurity, in different size teams, size companies, funding rounds and all of that channel might not work and might not be the right play for that particular timing. Tell us in your opinion, what channel is the future for? Who is it for actually? Okay. It's for everyone. I still believe that it's the right way to go. And I'm not going to say channel is the future, but I'm going to say partnerships are the future. Okay. Channel is very specific. You can think about that as kind of a reseller motion. But partnerships and ecosystem building, I'm going to say, is the future. Right now, if I can get these statistics right, 71% of all products and services are sold indirectly. That's from the World Trade Organization globally. I mean, that's like manufacturing and blah, blah, blah. But Forrester just came out and said that by 2028, 91% of all technology will be sold indirectly. Wow. That's insane. That's only six years from now. Yeah. And we're already there, I think, to some degree. Or you think about like an AWS or you think about all sorts of different things, right? You might not think of them as a partner, but they are, right? I mean, they're providing influence, they're providing validation, they're handling some of the sales process. Why it's the future is the influence component. That's the new economy. There's been a lot of people talking about how data used to be the new oil, and it's going the same way that oil is going, right? It's going to run out. It's starting to get a bad name. 
And the new economy is the influence economy. The new way that we're doing things is validation from partnerships. When we think about a, a CISO out there, where are they going to get their information? Are they going to the email campaign that you just sent in your inbox? No. They're not. <laughs> Sorry to say. But they're going to their colleagues, right? They're talking to CISOs and other organizations. I think Danny Wolf talks about this all the time, right? They are trying to understand this black funnel that's out there of where people are getting their validation and trying to understand the vendors and understand what's trendy. We can influence that as much as possible being the vendor marketer and putting out cool stuff and being really good at what we do and having great customer service. But we want to start getting those influencers out there. And those aren't necessarily traditional channel partnerships, but people that you invite to co-sponsor your event, comparative, collaborative organizations, right, that you might share a charity event with. Those kind of things, I think, where the future is for marketing. We see that all the time in the society. So in the society, the Cybersecurity Marketing Society, of which if you're a cybersecurity marketer listening, you can join it at cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com. So we see that all the time in the society now. It's like, Expanding beyond just like tech alliance partnerships where together, you truly do have a better together story. Like, hey, we both close the gaps like Botero and Menlo Security, et cetera, like things like that. And now you're seeing even like partnerships between companies that don't necessarily compete, but also don't necessarily even really complement one another. They are just kind of both selling to similar groups and similar people in cybersecurity because it's easier you get more exposure that way. And together, like two plus two equals five. Mm -hmm. I've seen it happen over and over again. Like co-marketing with others is amazing in terms of exposure for your product and lessening the work and also splitting costs too. Because as we all know, cybersecurity marketing with all the vendors that we work with are very expensive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like an ecosystem, like you were saying. A hundred percent. And there are a number of new tools, new sales motions out there. I'll call them new, but I think they're becoming more popular. It's starting to get a little more validation where you can cross-pollinate your target markets and bounce off of another company's reputation. <laughs> you can come sit with us, right? You're the cool kids over here. We all, all these companies hang out together. We can introduce each other and say, we co-wrote this research report. These are my friends. Let's share leads. Let's share engagement strategies together. There's all sorts of great ways to do that. And like I said, I think at the end of the day, that positive influence, that positive reputation really is going to set one company apart, not just based on the data and the number of names that they can collect. It's really how do you take that and then demonstrate that you are really the next hit company out there and the solution that's going to solve their problem. I love it. We're going to have to have you back on, David, soon. But I think it's time for us to play our game. Do you agree, Maria? <sighs> yes. The best yeah. part of the podcast. All right. All right. Let's do it. So this is a game where we guess what you would be doing if you were not doing partner marketing. <laughs> Maria, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? I don't know. Whenever I let you go first, you win. Okay, you and go first. I have to look at the stats. There were a few times where I went first and I lost as well. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. You'd probably be in hospitality, I would say. That's cheating, I think. We know something about David's background that he's going to have to reveal to both of us. But okay, sorry. Go ahead, Maria. <laughs> yeah, I would say hospitality. That's my guess. My guess is I think you'd be an awesome coach, someone who pumps other people up, like a teacher coach person. Is that a thing? Like a baseball coach. Teacher coach person. <laughs> 
I can see David changing his LinkedIn profile. <laughs> I am teacher coach person. Well, I think you're both right. You both win. Give <laughs> it to Maria. <laughs> I'm fist bumping right now in celebration of this. I have done our, our do both those things right now. My background, I used to work in the hospitality industry, travel and tourism industry. I think a lot of that pulls into marketing because you kind of understand what people want and build that empathy. But I also teach marketing at George Washington University here in Washington, D.C. and and kind of help mentor our next generation of marketers coming to be. So, Oh, wow. This is the tie where Gianna and Maria win at the the podcast game. That's awesome. What sort of tourism slash hospitality were you interested in, David? Well, I think this is actually where I learned to love partnerships. I didn't even think about this. I might be like retconning my own history, but this is, I think, when I learned a little bit the value of partnerships. So I worked specifically with governments and destination organizations from places that people didn't really go to or didn't really have a big brand. I've been to many countries in Africa, many places along the Mississippi River, Sri Lanka, Georgia, the country, the Balkans. My job was to go in there and basically do an assessment with them about what makes this place special. A view for a person that lives here, what makes that place special to you and how do we tell the story a little bit better? So we would do that. And then uh, as you can imagine, part of that process is the people and the places and the companies that are there to help build that story, but then also make sure that people can come and visit and have a safe and secure time while they're there. So you have this kind of umbrella organization that then has to work with all of these different partners, more or less, in order to be successful. So I think that's where it really, really started. And I got to travel a lot. I was in my early 20s, lived more than half the year on the road. It was awesome. (laughs) And it was great for your 20s. It was an experience that helped me kind of think on my feet. I worked with a lot of different clients, which is kind of what you got to do in partner marketing, right? You got to be able to turn on a dive and understand that everyone's needs are different. Yeah. And you just build a little bit of human empathy about we're all out here just trying to do our jobs and we got to make it as easy as possible and be as good coworkers as we can. Wow. What an amazing early career. It makes you think, why would you come to cyber? For what? (laughs) (laughs) It's an exciting career. It's an exciting place as well. I mean, there's a lot going on that is new and interesting and challenging, really. I pivoted I left that job kind of doing consulting with destinations and moved over to a large insurance company that had a fledgling identity theft protection program, but also did travel insurance. So I was like, oh, what is this new thing over here? How are we protecting people? Digital, cyber, what is this? And I got really into it. We did a whole go-to-market strategy for them. I built their first partner marketing program. And from there, I just kind of got deeper and deeper into the weeds and got to where I am now. But it's, I don't know, like, I think the industry we're in is so exciting. It's the future as well. That's amazing. That's so awesome. Oh, my God. Anyone who has questions about partnerships or if for any reason, how can people reach you, David? Sure. I mean, my LinkedIn is available, linkedin.com slash David C.L. Brown. You can also email me if you want at dabrown at zerofox.com. Or if you're a member of the Cybersecurity Marketing Society, hit me up in Slack. I'm on there all the time. Yay. Oh my God, I love a plug. 
I love a plug so much. It doesn't come from us. Yay. I love it when that happens. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, David. It's been such a delight having you on. We're definitely going to have to have you come back because partnerships is so huge. There's so many different variables. There's so many different pieces of it. We're going to have to drill down on some more of this. And we'd be so delighted if you do come back. Thank you both. This was so much fun. All right. If you want to be on Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing, send an email to podcasts with an S at hackervalley.com and catch me and Maria and David in the Cybersecurity Marketing Society Slack. And we'll see you also next week for another amazing episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. Please like, subscribe, give us six stars out of five and tell all your friends. And cheesecake? Yes, cheesecake. Yes, actually. Don't give us any stars. Just send us cheesecake. I think that's a, <laughs> a good train. Catch you next time. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>